Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And we're the Old Dogs. If you got about 20 minutes, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the Old Dogs ramble about listening. How good are you at it? We present another quiz about the early days of TV. We give another shout-out to AARP. We discuss common pet names for grandparents. Do you have some? And we compare the merits of brand name with generic drugs. The Old Dog's conversation is with Carl Ford, a Virginia gentleman who really enjoys a real good life as a realtor. Stay with us. Well, Paul, I'm looking at you and I'm wondering what's on your mind. Oh, I got plenty on my mind. You know, as we're recording this episode, the, all the chatter is about electing a new Speaker of the House. I don't think we have a shortage of Speakers of the House. What we have yeah. is a shortage of listeners of the ah, House. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a problem today. We are just not good at listening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or responding, for that matter. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I try to get people to listen to me. Uh, and the louder I talk, the less they want to hear me. What do you think that's all about? Well, you know what? I, I think people uh, are half-heartedly listening to other people. Uh, and what they're, what's going on in their mind is, what am I going to say next? Or let's yeah. talk about me. That's about me. Oh, and even worse is if a person happens to mention something that is, I say, probably significant, something happening in their life. Uh, most people will immediately jump to, well, let's see if I can top that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sad. So, I mean, how how do you break that habit? I admit that I'm guilty of it. And and part of that is being married for 30 years. It's <laughs> um, it it's a serious problem. And, uh, you know, I think it, uh, it comes to light in Congress where everybody wants to be heard because they think their precious ideas need to be heard and they outshout each other. Um, it, it's, it's, it's stupid. And if we just slow down the pace a little bit and force ourselves to listen to what the other person says, there's probably a lot more agreement than they realize when they're shouting. And it also occurs to me that there are some people who are probably so afraid of not being listened to that they will not allow you to have an opening to speak. Uh, have you ever noticed that, that there are certain people, they may be friends, who will talk and talk and never allow you an opportunity to jump in? Are these people married? I'm just curious. Well, you're you're married, Paul. And, uh, you know, there are times when I think I have a lot of things to say. They're all <laughs> pent up. <laughs> yeah. What can I tell you? Um, it is a serious problem. And I, I think we see it manifested in. Uh, a lot of different forums where people feel that if they don't keep talking, that they're going to have to deal with a counter opinion that may have some logic. My God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, perish the thought that someone might have an opinion that will change my mind. Hmm? <laughs> yeah, really, really. So what's the solution? How about a law that requires you to take two seconds between uh, when another person stops talking and you start. Wow, that would be a great idea. Yeah, 
And uh, what are the chances of that becoming a law, do you think? <laughs> well, for one thing, I would cheat on the two seconds, Paul. <laughs> it's time for I Saw It on the Boob Tube. In this segment, we'll give you some clues about a TV show from the 50s and 60s, and you have to name the missing pieces. The show in this episode was a panel show that started in 1957. Four celebrity panelists questioned three guests to determine which one was an actual person of some accomplishment. A brief bio of the real person read by the host was all the information the panelists had. To solve our boob tube challenge, what was the name of this game show and who was the host? For extra credit, name as many celebrity panelists as you can. We'll be back with the answers later in the podcast. It's been a while since we've paid a tribute to AARP. If you haven't joined, you should. They are the only organization that consistently fights for seniors. And the price is cheap, cheap, cheap. One of the many benefits is two publications that keep you informed of senior issues. One of their publications is the AARP Bulletin. In the October issue, they have a great article titled A Visual Guide to Fraud. It highlights 10 common scams that you may receive on your phone. You know, it's well worth the read. These are seemingly authentic messages that warn of a problem with one of your accounts or maybe an offer of a prize that's too good to be true. If it seems in any way suspicious, don't click on any part of the message. Many of these scams target seniors and often result in a loss of money or identity information. These digital pirates are beneath contempt and should be stopped. Unfortunately, you are your own first line of defense. Read the article. Now, Paul, do you get a lot of these scam messages? Don't you? I mean, I get two or three of them a day. Really? Wow. And some of them are obvious. They're misspelled. Yeah. Or the, or the English is fractured, but some of them are quite clever uh, imitations of the real thing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you just got to be, got to be vigilant. Yeah. And, um, well, okay, I click on some of them just because it's a hobby of mine. <laughs> and uh, it's an expensive hobby, Jim. Yes, I wouldn't certainly. recommend it. Yeah, I think I'm going to send you a few fraudulent messages. Many of us are grandparents. And perhaps our grandkids have a pet name for us. Oh, yeah. The HuffPost published a survey by Preply for the most popular terms of endearment for grandparents. For grandma, the most popular names were Gigi, Nana, Mimi, Gran, Bibi, and Momo. And for grandpa, the most popular names were Poppy, spelled P-O-P-P-Y, Poppy, spelled P-A-P-I, Pops, G-Paw, Grand dude, I like grand dude, and Papa. Although using Papa could create some confusion in your family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your grandkids have a pet name for you? Yes, they do, and it happens to be Pops. Pops. Yes. Okay. Pops. Pops is somebody that should be running like a drugstore or something like that. Or a hey, Pops, give me one of those cherry Cokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And get away from uh, the magazines. My grandkids, for their other set of grandparents, they have pet names. For us, it's, hey, you, 
or, or it's a grandpa and grandma. Grandpa and grandma were, mm-hmm. were what you used. You yeah. know, you didn't come up with pet names. Well, uh, my grandparents uh, on my mother's side are from New Orleans, and so they had French pet names. My grandmother's name was um, Maman. And my uh, actually had great grandparents, and they were Mamère and Pépère. This notice of our Ever Alert Customs officials comes to us from UPI.com. A traveler arrived in Minneapolis from Kenya. On her customs form, she had listed giraffe droppings. <laughs> Rather unusual souvenir. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials sprang into action. Mm -hmm. They flagged the Iowa resident for inspection by agricultural specialists at the airport. The traveler explained that she intended to use the dung to make a necklace. She she stated that in the past she had created similar jewelry from moose dung, and she didn't see what the problem was. Well, the problem was not her taste in jewelry. Bringing fecal matter into the U.S. was prohibited, even if you declare it. The custom folks seized the box and destroyed the contents by means of steam sterilization. Uh, A sad reward for being truthful on her customs declaration. (laughs) Some of these things are hard to believe, aren't they? Really, really. And, uh, you know, how, how can you argue with someone who wants to make a necklace out of droppings of any sort? You know, there was a picture, and they were like baseball socks. Oh, my God. <laughs> How are you going to make a necklace? <laughs> anyway, hey, we just reported. All right, here are the answers for I Saw It on the Boob Tube. The show was called To Tell the Truth. The You're host, kidding. No, it, <laughs> it's the truth. The host was Bud Collier. The celebrity panelists over the years included Kitty Carlisle, Orson Bean, Polly Bergen, Tom Poston, Peggy Cass, Bill Cullen, and Don Amici. At the conclusion of the show, Bud Collier would say, Will the real fill-in-the-blank please stand up to applause and oohs and ahs from the audience? The National Geographic explained the difference between name brand and generic drugs in an issue in September 2023. This is a timely topic for folks our age. Generic drugs are just as effective and much less expensive. Hey, so why aren't all drugs generic? Well, a brand name drug is manufactured by the pharmaceutical company that developed it. It went through clinical trials and was submitted to the FDA for approval. As compensation for the research and development, the pharmaceutical company is granted a 20-year patent to market the drug exclusively, which means they can set the price. Yeah, I'll say. Normally, after the patent expires, other companies can produce a generic equivalent, which can be sold much cheaper. However, the generic version is required to look different to avoid violating trademark laws. This often leads doctors and patients to assume falsely that it's not as effective. In addition to promoting confusion over the effectiveness of generics, pharma companies have ways to extend their patent. The drug can be submitted for different medical conditions, which extends the patent another 7 to 10 years. Another option is to tweak the formulation of the drug, which can also extend the patent. A fair return for the cost of research is understandable, but the games with extending patents is based on greed. 
It's estimated that using a brand name drug when a generic is available could cost patients an additional two hundred and seventy million dollars a year. You can see what's at stake for Big Pharma. Man, I don't have $270 million to spend every year, Paul. Do you? Well, I do, Jim. Do you need me to lend you some? (laughs) (laughs) Carl Ford is a home buyer and home seller's dream. A guy whose main joy is making his clients happy without making the other side miserable. His formula for success is simple. If you want to take your business to the next level, don't focus on selling but on service. When I quit selling, that's when my business and my life took off in a whole new way. Carl, my first question for you, sir, is you did not start out as a realtor as a young man. You had a journey to get there. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure did. Um, Well, I I graduated from college in 75 and kind of immediately got a really good, really good job with the state agency employment commission. And there was a job placement counselor and interviewer, that kind of thing. And so, you know, really good benefits, good pay, all your holidays, vacations, et cetera. Uh, And I've always been a person that kind of enjoys, I like doing well and I'm very competitive. And so one of the things I kind of noticed all along in the, and again, it was nice, but like there were, let's say maybe 40 job placement officers there. I was usually number one, two or three out of the 40. And I'd always notice too, like, for example, if I got a cost of living raise, the guy, I'm just going to call Jim. Uh, oh, thank you. Jim was number 40. And so when I got a cost of living raise, he got one and they'd review you for performance raises each year. And so uh, when the, when I got a performance raise, he got a performance raise. And I'm like, golly, you know, I'm working my tail off to kind of, you know, do a good job and be number one, two or three. And, you know, anytime I get something, Jim gets something. And I, so I kind of felt like, you know, if being competitive, I want to get rewarded for what I do. And if I'm going to work hard, I want to get some reward for it. So I thought about going into sales. I was with this agency for like seven years until 1982. And I wanted, I said, you know, sales would be a good field. Well, the killer for sales was uh, I was employed by a government agency. And kind of at that time, you know, they didn't think of like government employees as being really highly motivated. And then secondly, I had a degree in political science. So I had no sales background, business background. And so I said, you know, gosh, what am I going to do? And there was a Dale Carnegie course going on in Roanoke. And I said, you know, I'm kind of shy about speaking in front of people and that kind of thing. I'm going to go take the Dale Carnegie course. One of the best things I ever did in my life, I started that course. And after about the third meeting, there was a fella, the name of Tom Stover, that came up to me after the meeting. He said, Carl, he said, have you ever thought about going into real estate? And I'm like, huh? He said, have you ever thought about going into real estate? And I said, well, you know, I'm kind of taking this course so I can kind of make a move into sales. And he said, uh, let's go up to Hardy's after the class ends. I want to talk to you. So we went up there and talked a little bit. And I said, well, you know, I want to get into sales and stuff and, you know, be kind of interesting. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'd like to talk a little more about it later. So the very next morning, uh, Luke Waldrop, the broker of, of the real estate firm called me up and said, Carl, uh, Tom says he thinks you'd be great for 
working in real estate. I'd like to talk to you about it. Can you come in Saturday? And I said, well, sure, I guess so. And he said, you're married, right? And I said, sure. And he said, well, bring your wife with you too. And I'm like, well, that's kind of strange. So I went in there Saturday morning, met with Luke, and we're talking about real estate and what it involves and this kind of thing. And of course, you know, you're an independent contractor. You're working for yourself. We were talking about things. And Luke said, uh, looked at Patsy. So you probably wondered why I asked you to come too. And uh, she said, yeah. And he said, well, what are you going to do when you've got plans to go to a movie Friday night? And Carl calls you and goes, I can't do that. Uh, I've got clients I've got to finish up with. Or he's doing open houses and working with clients all weekend. How are you going to feel about that? She kind of looked at Luke and said, hmm, does that mean I kind of have the house to myself for the weekend? Ah. <laughs> he said, well, I guess so. And she said, hiring now. Yeah. So, so in June of 83, I started as a realtor, and uh, this is my 40th year in real estate. You have to enjoy riding a roller coaster. Uh, very important because emotionally, it's ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. It's Real estate's not one of these businesses where careers, where everything stays steady all the time. But there is an example I would tell people, you know, you'll have an out-of-town person coming in. You spend two to three days working with them, trying to find the right house. You find the right property for them. You make the big sale. You get the contract worked out. You've made a nice commission and all, and you go home that night. And you're just all excited and telling your wife about you're able to help these folks and the big sale you made. And you're all excited up. And then your head hits the pillow, and you're going, huh, I don't have any appointments scheduled for tomorrow morning. Matter of fact, I don't anything for tomorrow afternoon. And I'll start thinking, oh, my God, you know, there's one house that's going to be the last house I ever sell. Mm. Oh, Lord, was that it? Mm. <laughs> well, Carl, you're talking about a career, and you've been at it for 40 years. Yes, sir. You, you're old enough that you could have retired by now. I love what I do. I mean, it's a lot of fun. In my life, my sales career has never been really focused on the money. We're kind of focusing on serving. And I find that uh, if I focus on that, everything else falls into place. So I don't think of it as a job. I don't think of it as work. And, God, I'd probably feel kind of useless if I didn't. You're based in Roanoke, Virginia. Tell us a little bit about Roanoke. The entire Roanoke Valley uh, is about population 250,000. Uh, the, uh, the city and county of Roanoke have won the All-American City Award seven times, I think, more than any other city. It's a great community. Uh, there's something constantly going on. And it's an area that a lot of people have like, chosen to retire to. And we always laugh and talk about that we get a lot of uh, what you call halfbacks. We've heard a halfback as someone from New Jersey, New York, Maine, Pennsylvania, those areas. They work all their lives, retire, head to Florida. Mm -hmm. Once they get to Florida after about a year or two of the heat, they're like, oh, my God, I don't want the winter. I don't want, you know, like the winters I had in Buffalo, but I want to see a winter. Mm -hmm. And I don't like these hot summers. I want to see a fall. I want to see a spring. And so these folks are looking for an area to live in where you have all four seasons, four distinct seasons. And so we call them the halfbacks because they start looking halfway back up mm -hmm. the coast. And the two areas, the two like big retirement areas right now, uh, Roanoke, Virginia, 
which is the largest city on the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is 500 miles of beautiful mountains and, and just scenery. It's incredible. And then uh, Asheville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. which is very similar to Roanoke. And it's the second largest city on the Blue Ridge Parkway. So I can see the property values escalating as you speak. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem oh with Asheville, right? You can't afford Asheville anymore. Three years ago, if you were looking in Southwest County, say up to 300,000, there would be 150 homes to choose from. Nowadays, you look up 350, there's maybe five homes and that's it. And um, so because of that, anytime you list a nice property for sale, uh, within, I think my last probably 46, 47 listings have all sold in less than 48 hours. Your business is a people business. Oh, gosh, yes. And uh, have you ever had, no names, please, have you ever had a client from hell that was just impossible to please? Uh, Yeah, I've had a couple of those. And uh, unfortunately, they they ended up real well. I gave them somebody else. (laughs) Somebody you didn't like too much. Well, (laughs) actually, I hate to tell you this on one of them. I said, you know, I think an agent would be real good to work with you. There's a guy by the name of so-and-so, and he wasn't within our firm because I said, I do not want to frame anybody in our firm. Mm-hmm. So I referred him to another guy at another company across the street. And about two weeks later, he called me back and he said, you son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I know why you referred him to me. <laughs> oh, golly. <laughs> but it's great. It's a great business there. Sure is. Carl, since you have reached a certain age, uh, and yeah. with age comes wisdom, I suppose. Still waiting, but uh, <laughs> you, do you have do you have uh, suggestions for people our age who are in the process of moving? A lot of us are. Don't just all of a sudden decide, hey, we're going to move somewhere. Get information about, like, if you're coming to the Roanoke Valley, get as much information as you can about Roanoke. Always good to get in touch with a a realtor. We like to do what we call chamber tours where you run them around the valley and teach them about the area, get as much information as possible, and then go and spend spend a weekend or two or three days to get to know the area and kind of tootle around and, and get a feel for it and, and you know what, what are the vibrant things in the community, what needs do you have. A lot of people are going to be downsizing substantially, okay? Yeah. So that's one problem, and that is that uh, they're looking for a home that is substantially smaller. Try to prepare in advance as much as you can to downsize, get rid of things, things you don't need. If you have children, Lord have mercy, still have their stuff there. Let them know we're downsizing. We're going to be moving someplace else. You've got till November 1st to come get what you want. (laughs) If it's not, it's going in the trash. If you're buying, mm-hmm. what problem areas should you always look for in a house? And if you're selling, mm-hmm. what do you recommend people should fix up before they put it on the market? Uh, of course, you know, most of your contracts nowadays, or gosh, over the last decade or so, have always been subject to home inspections where you have a professional inspector to come in uh, and go through the house, and then you negotiate those repairs or terms of that. Uh, I would say, uh, as a seller, a lot of times I'll recommend, hey, look, before we get the house on the market, let's go ahead and pay to have a home inspection done. Let's have a home inspector come in, do a full inspection, things that he thinks need to be repaired. Let's get those things done. 
And that way you don't have to deal with those kind of issues and problems because you know about them, you know, ahead of time. What's your advice for people that uh, are kind of looking around for something to do? Well, one thing, there's a good book that I read called The Five Secrets uh, You Must Discover Before You Die. I have to continually do this with myself. There are three questions. The first chapter about always being true to yourself and live with intention. And the three things it talks about there, uh, the three critical questions that you always have to ask yourself. Am I following my heart and being true to myself? Is my life focused on the things that really matter to me? And am I being the person that I want to be in this world? Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.